reached our cruising altitude, it's time for the flyover. Welcome back to Flyover View, a member of the Heartland Pod family of podcasts, and a look at Heartland news from 30,000 feet. From the Gateway Arch to the Rocky Mountains, I'm your host, Kevin Smith, joined by my co-host, Sean Diller. Sean, you ready to start this show? Like an anti-vax trucker ready to drive my ass home. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's start the show. Texas rhino hunters missed the mark. In the lead up to Tuesday's Texas primaries, Republican candidates looking to unseat incumbents from the county courthouse to the governor's mansion rallied around a theme, attacking their opponents for not being conservative enough. But Texas primaries showed that calling a GOP office holder a rhino, Republican in name only, or suggesting that longtime GOP leaders are really closet leftists has its limits when it comes to winning primaries. Take East Texas U.S. Rep. Louie Gohmert, who was vying for the GOP nomination for attorney general. At the campaign event last month, Gohmert attacked current Texas AG Ken Paxton for failing to label gender-affirming medical care for minors as child abuse. Louie Gohmert finished dead last in the AG's race with only 17% of votes, compared with incumbent Ken Paxton's 42.7. Then there's Don Huffines, who challenged Governor Greg Abbott with accusations that Abbott wasn't tough enough on border security. Huffines said he, as a true conservative, would take more drastic measures to secure the border. Huffines carried a paltry 11.9%, compared with Abbott's 66%. U.S. Rep. Dan Crenshaw, an incumbent from the Houston area, crushed conservative challenger Jamison Ellis and Texas House candidate Mark Middleton, who's facing trial on charges related to his participation in the January 6th U.S. Capitol assault, received just 13.5% of the vote in his district, while incumbent GOP Rep. David Biller walked to an easy victory with 70% of the vote. And bringing it home in House District 62, salon owner Shelley Luther, who rose to fame by defying orders to close her salon at the height of the COVID pandemic, lost in her second attempt to parlay her notoriety into elective office. It really kind of just seems to me that uh, Texas, I know that has been kind of trending a little bit more blue lately to where it's beginning becoming almost purple these days. Uh, and I don't know, it just seems like some of these folks, the wind is kind of knocked out of their sails going uber right on some of these issues. That's super interesting because In previous elections, especially recently, the way to win if you're a Republican is to get to the right of all the other candidates. And I think you're right. People don't really think of Texas as a purple state, but the reality is the number of swing voters is growing really, really fast compared to all the diehard Republicans that used to define the state's politics. Let the kids play. The Missouri Senate Education Committee is considering a bill that would bar transgender women from participating in women's sports. The bill, misleadingly called the Save Women's Sports Act, would prohibit students who were assigned a gender of male at birth from participating in women's sports at schools. Avery Jackson, a 14-year-old from Kansas City, told the committee that transgender kids like her should be able to play sports without the issue becoming politicized. She said, these are all kids and they're playing for fun. I don't understand why this has to be something bigger than that. She went on to note that excluding transgender youth from playing on sports teams aligning with their gender targets students who are already marginalized. Two other Republican bills in the Missouri legislature would also target transgender people. A bill in the Missouri Senate would prohibit gender-conforming hormonal and surgical treatments for minors, and a bill in the Missouri House would prohibit changing the sex designation on a birth certificate. Now, I know that uh, we just had a story last week from Texas where uh, they're really kind of doubling down on some of this gender-confirming hormonal treatments, calling it child abuse, which is absolutely ridiculous. And it looks like 
there's at least some legislators in Missouri who want to do the same kind of thing. Right. And once again, it's taking an issue, really a private issue, a family issue, an individual issue, and a healthcare issue, and making it into a political football, really only because they think it will benefit themselves and their own prospects. That's just what really makes me sick. You know, if you're wondering kind of what to think about a bill like this, and you're kind of in the middle, look to doctors. When state legislatures start making statutes about what doctors are allowed to do, doctors usually have something to say about it. And the American Medical Association is definitely against all of these type of bills. In the West, whiskey's for drinking and water is for fighting. Nebraska Governor Pete Ricketts has ramped up his push for income tax cuts, a new state prison, and a $500 million canal to claim water from Colorado arguing that the state is expected to collect more than enough revenue to pay for it all. The Republican governor's remarks come just days after a state board predicted that Nebraska will have a $775 million budget surplus that will leave lawmakers with nearly $500 million in available cash for new spending, plus a projected $1.7 billion cash reserve and a billion in federal pandemic money. Governor Ricketts endorsed a measure that would lower Nebraska's top individual and corporate income tax rates which would be a windfall for the state's highest income earners. Taxpayers who earn at least $1 million a year account for more than half of all income reported in Nebraska, but those individuals only pay about 10% of the state's total income taxes. Opponents of the tax cut measure said it would mean less money for public schools and health care. Rebecca Firestone, executive director of the Open Sky Policy Institute, says we are concerned that we are in a fiscal bubble at the moment and could hamstring ourselves financially by rushing to pass tax cuts without a clear understanding of our state's true economic prospects. Nebraska's revenue surge was largely driven by federal COVID-19 aid, as demonstrated by many other states that went from doom and gloom budgets early in the pandemic to large surpluses. When it comes to the $500 million canal project on the South Platte River, Governor Ricketts said Colorado is trying to take our water and Nebraska won't have an economic future if we don't act. Ricketts has identified the canal project between Colorado and Nebraska as a top priority, saying it's the only way for Nebraska to ensure it gets an adequate supply of water into the future. Colorado's fast-growing population has put more pressure on the river, but a 100-year-old compact between the states allows Nebraska to build a canal and stake a legal claim to some of the water. Colorado Governor Jared Polis said he's open to talking with his counterpart in Nebraska, but he would continue to aggressively defend Colorado's water rights. He also called the project a canal to nowhere and a boondoggle that is unlikely to ever be built. <laughs> oh, man, we just had a story last week about Colorado and the West drought problems. And now they're feuding with Nebraska in order to see who has water rights over a river. It's crazy. Right. Yeah. And there was another article about how there's a small mining town that had been completely deserted for decades. And now it's got a little bit of an economic resurgence happening and people are wanting to live there, but there's no water. They can't hook up the taps. They can't build the communities. Like there's not a viable way to bring water. Has there been any other news about this potential canal project or is this, I know it's been kind of around for a little while, but obviously this would be terrible for Colorado. They're already struggling with water supply issues. Right. Yeah, I have read a little bit about this, and it seems like 
the people in Colorado, whether they're political officials or natural resources people or water experts, folks who really know this policy backwards and forwards, they're confused, honestly, by Governor Ricketts actions. And that's the word I've seen in more than one place. People don't really know what exactly he's talking about, like what's the legal process for getting this to happen, for taking Colorado's water away. And I guess they tried to do this. The compact has been around for a hundred years. There was an attempt to bring water from Colorado to Nebraska in 1891, I think, that failed based on costs. And then in the 80s, they tried again and couldn't get it to move. So that could also be part of it. This governor might be, you know, there might be local state level politics at play where people really like him doing this, whether or not it has any chance of going anywhere. Anti-vax Kansans end vaccine awareness efforts. The Kansas Department of Health has stopped airing public service announcements encouraging COVID-19 vaccines after pressure from vaccine-skeptical lawmakers. The news came out Wednesday during the confirmation hearing of Acting Health Secretary Janet Stenick. Republican State Senator Mark Steffen asked Stenick how the department had responded to concerns he voiced in January about messaging that depicted COVID-19 vaccines as safe and effective. In the confirmation hearing, Stanick said, we have removed the TV ads. <laughs> a spokesperson for the department followed up and said the agency chose to stop running television and digital ads encouraging vaccines on February 1st after Republican lawmakers like Stefan grilled Stanick on vaccine conspiracy theories during a previous Senate committee hearing. A department spokesperson said this wasn't made in response to pressure from the legislature, just that you know, case numbers have begun to decrease, and we felt it was time to look at our COVID communications and reevaluate what those messages were. Kansas and other states are beginning to approach the virus as endemic, meaning it remains a steady presence, but is no longer overwhelming healthcare systems. Well, it's all ridiculous. You know, PSAs telling people to get vaccinated should be airing everywhere <laughs> uh, about COVID-19 and about all the other illnesses that vaccines can prevent. But what's really funny about this, to me anyway, is that the idea that now that case numbers are going down, we're moving towards an endemic situation where it's going to be a steady presence. So we stop telling people to get vaccinated. No, that's the one thing people need to keep doing is like getting vaccinated. <laughs> that's what will keep it from spreading more. I mean, you know what keeps the flu in check every year? Folks who get vaccinated. You know what is going to keep COVID in check in future years? Folks getting vaccinated and all of the other diseases that we've been getting vaccinated for for decades. They are kept in check because of these good medical practices. This is just a crazy story to me that I'm sure that local level politics are playing a role. But man. Hey there, folks. I hope you're enjoying the show. I want to remind you that we are a 100 percent listener supported family of podcasts all under the umbrella of the Heartland Pod. You can catch our flagship show, the Heartland Pod, on Mondays every week with Adam Summer, where he delivers an opening statement before being joined by Sean Diller and Rachel Parker for a talking politics session on the week that was and diving into elections, legislation and public policy. You can also join Adam on most Tuesdays and Thursdays for Let's Have a Chat, featuring interviews with folks of interest from around the Midwest. On any given week, he could be chatting up a politician, a farmer, a scientist, you name it. On Wednesdays, the focus shifts to a rotating cast, a special reports, the Delta from science teacher and author Nicholas Linky and High Country, Sean Diller's Western political updates. Learn more at heartlandpod.com. And don't forget, for full access to the Last Call episodes and the Heartland News blog, sign up on Patreon as a podhead today. And now, the lightning round. 
Parson's new pick. Governor Mike Parson announced Tuesday that Missouri Health Department veteran Paula Nicholson would be the agency's new acting director. Parson's original pick, Donald Karoff, was ousted by conservative lawmakers skeptical of his anti-vax bona fides. Nicholson has been with the state health department for 22 years and has been deeply involved in Missouri's response to the pandemic, which by many standards was not good. Her efforts included overseeing an emergency no-bid contract to a Texas-based contractor to bring in temporary health care staff. The goal was to aid strained hospitals in the state and set up monoclonal antibody infusion centers. Ultimately, a little more than 200 temporary medical staff ended up being sent to hospitals at a cost to taxpayers of $32 million so far. So this is really interesting. I mean, we just saw in Kansas, the health department director is still getting grilled. They're still making decisions based on politics because the pressure is so high. We saw it in Missouri. We've seen it everywhere across the whole country, really. But I think what's interesting is that these top level positions in the states are continuing to be politicized. Illinois plans to address the teacher shortage. Illinois State Board of Education data show there are over 4,000 teaching and support vacancies across 852 school districts, including 1,700 full-time teaching vacancies. 88% of districts responding to a recent survey said they had a shortage of full-time teachers, while 96% said they had a shortage of substitute teachers. One provision would allow short-term substitute teachers to teach for 15 consecutive days instead of five, which is the current maximum allowed by the state. The bills would also extend the number of days that retired teachers and permanent subs would be able to teach in a school year, waive licensing fees for substitute teachers, and lower the minimum age requirement to become a paraprofessional. Today, there are over 1,200 vacancies for paraprofessionals just in Illinois. While state Senate Democrats admit the package is no silver bullet, it's intended to help provide immediate relief for today's critical teacher shortage and will be phased out in June 2023. The bill passed the Senate unanimously and seems to be on track to become law in the near future. Indiana Senate passes bill to close rape loophole. After years of failed attempt to change Indiana law, the state Senate unanimously voted to close a loophole in criminal rape statutes regarding the definition of consent. Indiana law currently states that intercourse is only considered rape if it's done by force or if it occurs with someone who is mentally incapacitated or unaware that it's happening. That means that verbally refusing someone's advances, telling them unequivocally this is not what they want or to stop, can fall into a sort of loophole in rape trials unless physical proof of injury to the rape survivor can be established. Various representatives from both parties have championed bills to clarify Indiana's definition of rape since at least 2015. In 2021, a bill clarifying what consent was passed the House but was never advanced out of committee in the Senate. So the bill's passage out of the Senate this week is a major win for advocates. Once the Senate's version is approved in the Indiana House, the bill will go to Governor Eric Holcomb for his signature or veto. And even though it was unanimous in the Senate, we don't want to leave anything to chance. If you live in Indiana or know anybody who could call the governor and make sure this gets signed, that number is 317-232-4567. Well, that's all the time we have, folks. I want to thank you for joining us. And if you have a story you feel we should look into and possibly highlight on the show, tweet me at Kev in Midbo or at the Heartland Pod. This week's episode featured reporting and information from the Wichita Eagle, Associated Press, Axios, St. Louis Public Radio, the Omaha World Herald, Dallas Observer, Missouri Independent, KCUR Kansas City, the Illinois Capital News, and the Indiana Star. Thanks for listening. The Flyover View is a production of MidMap Media LLC. Learn more at www.heartlandpod.com or at the Heartland Pod on Twitter. See y'all next week.